Good morning, beloved. Goodness, can you believe it? I've been somewhat consistent. We've made it to, this is stream number 10. That's a big milestone for me. I don't know that I've ever been able to have 10 consecutive streams in a row. And you know what they say, if you do something long enough, it will ultimately become habit. Now, I see that some of you are in the comments with Precision Rifle. Now, as you know, that's a personal passion of mine. I'm not an expert at it, but I am certainly an enthusiast, and I have put a little something for you to entertain you in the background, and if you know, you know. Now, I do have a take. <laughs> we all have opinions, right? Growing up, rifles were a big, were a big thing. Uh, elk hunting, was our, that, was our big, that was our family sport. And the way it was back in the day uh, is that your choice of caliber uh, was directly correla correlated uh, correlation or a reflection of uh, your masculinity. <laughs> right or wrong, but that's just the way it was. So when I got left, you know, left the church and, and uh, was away from that and all that I'd ever known, and I started getting involved with hunting with some other people, I was quite surprised to see how small their rifles were, and it made me question a few other things. This is all tongue-in-cheek here, but, but that's kind of the way it was. So unfortunately for me, uh, the bigger the better was the, was the case of the day when I was younger, and most of the guys that we hunted with hunted with 300 wind mags. Now that's, that's a decent-sized caliber. That was the starting point uh, in our hunting parties, but if you wanted to step it up and if you wanted to really take it to the next level, then you went with a Weatherby Mark V and a 300 Magnum. Now, a 300 Weatherby Magnum is even bigger, significantly bigger than a Winchester Magnum because of the Weatherby calibers for the Mark Vs back then were proprietary. There were even guys that were hunting up with 340s, which is getting up into the upper echelons of Africa-style hunting guns. You could always tell our hunting parties because of the big booms uh, down in the canyon. But I bought my first, my first rifle was the 8mm I told you about that was cut down for me when I was a boy, when I was at 12. When I was about 16, I jumped up into the baby caliber, which was the 30-06, and that was a good starting caliber for the small boys and, and women, <laughs> the 30-06. And then as soon as I could, uh, and I had a job and had a little money in my pocket, I upgraded to the Mark V. 300 Weatherby Magnum, and that certainly is a big caliber. Caliber. I remember seeing back in the day uh, the, the old Weatherby ads, you know, back when you could get away with false advertisement and stuff, and the rumor had it what those big rifles were, and this was always bandied around the campground, was that the big Weatherby Magnums were so powerful, if you were just to merely hit a deer, the explosion, the impact would be so tremendous that it would cause the blood to run backwards in the animal and explode its heart. Uh, which I can tell you is not true. Uh, we lost some animals that were poorly shot, and that's just the way it is. Now, when it comes to precision rifle, now I've moved on from this and realized that bigger is not always better, especially putting a large caliber like that in the hands of a new shooter or, or a boy is very counterproductive. My my grandfather on my dad's side, which I was never very close to, he didn't really like children all that much, um, and he died when I was quite young. I remember my first experience with a handgun. He thought it would be fun to put in the hands of a small child a 44 Magnum revolver. And of course, I shot the thing, and you can imagine that that really frightened me and almost it, it hurt me a little bit. You know, I was slightly injured from it, and that's a very irresponsible thing to do. And, you know, I carried that burden for years of being frightened of, of large caliber firearms or any firearms to, to really, and I had a real problem with flinching. 
uh, because of that. Finally, you know, to finally get over that with hunting, because it was really affecting me, I had to sit down with that, with that, um, that I think I started with the 30 out six, that 30 out six, and shoot, and shoot, and shoot, and shoot, and retrain myself and calm myself down so that I, did, I wasn't afraid of the thing, afraid of the recoil. So if you have small children, that is a very, very wicked thing to do uh, to put them into that environment. Now, as we know, as I said, bigger is not always better. Now that I have, as, as again, again, I am not the expert. I am an enthusiast. I've had a, a fair amount of training uh, of long range, range pre precision. Um, I have um, some experience with that. I am um, proficient to 1,500 meters for a man-sized target. And what I decided on was it was really came down to the 308 or the 6.5 Creedmoor. Now, the, the, the 308 was very enticing, and, it's, and that's a, very, a great caliber to have because it's ubiquitous. It's, um, a lot of, um, there's a lot of ammunition out there. Uh, there's a lot of um, science, uh, a lot of materials you know, for your dope that, that's already been done, uh, calibers worked out, you know, everything. There, there's nothing new under the sun there. Uh, and it's, it's a really good way to step into it. And it definitely, definitely effective. You know, 1,500, you know, it's pushing it. Some guys could do it, but it's, it's kind of pushing it. One thing that I found that was really, really interesting was the first time that I, I was able to shoot out to 1,500 meters in a controlled environment with, with good instructors and, you know, in a tier, tier one type of environment. I, I shot my 6.5. One thing that was very interesting was I was the only shooter there of uh, six of us that had that caliber. Everyone else was shooting the 308s. Now, I showed up at Thunder Ranch. When I showed up, Clint Smith was not impressed. <laughs> you know, he's an old military guy, and I mean, he had he had the dope worked out for the 308s. He'd been teaching it for years and years and years. He knows it backwards and forward. He had it so dialed out that when the shooters arrived. Um, he just passed out paper dope automatically for them. Now, it wasn't perfect. It was a place to start, you know, because guys show up with different barrel lengths and different, different loads and such, but it'll get you in the general vicinity, right? When he saw, and I'm not going to tell you what he called, what, what he referred to, to my 6.5 as, is it wouldn't be family friendly, but um, it was, uh, he was not impressed. And there was no dope book for me. <laughs> I, I was on my own. So, one thing I did have, though, was I had this little beauty right here. This right here is a Kestrel with applied ballistics. This is a very sophisticated weather computer that basically will do all of the hard work for you, all of the math, all of the math, for those of you who are public schooled will appreciate that, and it is extremely, extremely uh, effective. To give you an idea how effective it was, so we were shooting on the range, Again, I'm the only one with the 6.5, and we're walking out. We're starting at 100. Now we're at 300. Now we're at 500. Now we're at 750. 1,200, right? That's what that we're doing. Well, what I noticed was at about the five or 600 meter range, when everyone is calling out their dope, meaning how much clicking you're doing for elevation, with you know, as you're going out, you know you're clicking your you, the turrets on your scope. You've seen on the movies, you know how they click them. You know you adjust these, and these are kept track of. You know, or you should know, at specific ranges how many clicks. Maybe at 500, you're 18 clicks. Maybe at 1,000, you're you know you're 20. Whatever that may be. What I did notice with the Creedmoor was that dudes with a 308 were clicking a whole lot more than I was when we got out to that five 600 meter uh, t t targets, right? 
So it's, it's flatter shooting, Cert certainly flatter shooting. I'll, I'll close with this. Interesting thing with the Kestrel, now I didn't have a dope book and something very, very strange happened on the fire, on the range. Dude started missing and everyone started missing. What is going on? You know, these guys have been shooting for a day here and, and everyone's very competent. They know what they're doing. Why are people missing? What's going on? Well, an atmospheric pressure, something changed. It was a dramatic weather event that changed and the atmospheric pressure either lowered or it raised. I don't remember the details, but it threw off the dope. And those of you who know, you know, you do temperature readings, you elevation, you have to take the weathers, weather and that affects, very much affects how the, the, the bullet travels, right? Well, I was working off of this Kestrel, which was f giving me firing solutions in real time and compensated for that weather. Now, it wasn't a problem for the guys with the 308s. Once we realized what was going on and that a, a low pressure had, had moved in, which started to radically affect uh, bullet impact. Um, once they figured that out, made the correction, everyone was back on the page again. But I found that very, very interesting that this right here compensated for that and I didn't even know the difference. So a very valuable tool if you want to get into the system. And you know, some guys just don't want to really, you don't have time to geek out on that stuff and learn all the math. If you want it like a cheat code, this is it. Now I wouldn't rely upon this by yourself. And these are legit, man. I mean, guys that are that are doing this for a living are using these and counting on these. Uh, they are quite excellent. But I also run a manual dope book right alongside. So every time you shoot, every time you're at that, you know, take advantage of that to write these down because you might find yourself in a particular elevation or temperature that might be out. You always have to record these things. So if this were to fail or break or the battery goes dead, whatever, right, with all electronics, you know how it is, you do have uh, that to rely upon. But um, I'm sorry, I, I, yeah, I get sucked into it. I, I, I love that stuff. Let's jump into the super chats. We have a super chat from Luke. Oh, thank you, Luke. <laughs> I'm not a smart man. You, he, he even, he even, you even color coded it for me. I will get this someday. We have a super chat from Darbo. Shout out to you, Darbo. And Darbo writes, will you ever get back to your old style to videos? Feels like you have really fallen off the educational videos and now target sharing your beliefs with success. Yeah, I'll do whatever I want to do uh, and whatever I feel like doing combined with what is working for the algorithm. Now, there's two things that, that are happening here. There is there's what I want to do and then there's what I have to do. You know, at, the servant is not, or say, no, what is it? The buyer, the, the borrower is slave to the lender. So what has happened of late is that the algorithm has changed with YouTube and they do not promote the traditional long form content that I've made in the past. And to be honest with you, that is my favorite content to make. I've always enjoyed that. It's all, that's what I built the channel on, but it really rips your guts out when you put 12, 14 hours into something. And, and, and I, I tell you, to, to do a highly produced video um, with a project where you start and finish something, it, it's, a, it's a lot of work, a lot, a lot of work. It takes a lot of time, and that's time away from my family as well. But I'm happy to do it. I've always done it, and that's not a problem. But when you, get, when you put your heart and soul into something like that, and, and it does not get any, or just gets a few views, or just, a fraction of what they used to get, um, it takes the wind out of your sails and it just doesn't really, um, 
it's not very much fun uh, to do that. And then when you see that you're losing subscribers, that your, your channel is falling behind and, and everything is just starting to fall apart, well, it takes away the incentive. It's my opinion that YouTube was getting their lunch eaten by TikTok and they made a pivot and they have basically forced us as creators to do two things, um, live stream and do shorts. If you don't do those two, two things, then uh, your channel is not gonna grow. And say what you may, if you've been doing this for, for 12, 13 years, it is important to me that we're moving onward and upward, that, that what we're doing here is reaching people, uh, it's getting distributed. I, I'm, not, you know, I'm just not interested in doing something that people aren't gonna see or that's not gonna be shared with a new audience. We wanna grow, you know, we wanna get bigger. I make content to be viewed. So I have to play, I have to play by the rules. YouTube sets the rules and currently that's what has to be done, live streaming and shorts. Now, I understand your frustration, but it, I'm frustrated with you as well for not seeing and appreciating the effort that goes into what I'm doing. Even though I'm doing shorts, I'm doing them the best that I can. I put a lot of time and effort into them. I try to put something up that's entertaining, that's visually uh, nice to look at, that you might walk away and, and learn something. So I'm doing what I have to do. I'm operating inside of the framework uh, that has been given me. So if and when it gets back to the way it was, we will drop the shorts. You know, those aren't, aren't my favorite thing to do or, or that won't be the priority. But for now, that's just the way it is. Um, you know, I have, um, I, I have to play by the rules. So it's, it's not a personal choice, really. We have a new member, Jamie. Shout out to you, Jamie. We had a really nice members only stream. We have a small group uh, last Sabbath. Uh, Mrs. W joined us and you will be have access to those. We're going to try to work those in uh, more often. But uh, shout out to you and uh, enjoy your new members badge. We have a super chat from Joby Dignalt. Shout out to you, Joby, who says you should try the 17 HMR for gophers. You know, I, I've never had. Let me finish here. Uh, muskrat, beaver, trapper, avoid outdoorsman. Recommend this caliber next to 22. Yeah, it does. So I actually I love that caliber. Unfortunately, I don't have one. Back, well, goodness, this was probably uh, 12 years ago or so. I had uh, when I had was back. I guess two houses back. I had built a 5,000 foot shop where I ran my uh, Jeep parts business, and I had a really wonderful man who worked for me. Uh, his name was Tom. He was a retired uh, dock worker. Uh, he was smart and, and got into a good company and retired early, was looking for something to do. And I put an ad up and he answered it. And it was just an absolute blessing. We worked together for many years and he was a great, a great man. And I, I miss, him, miss him terribly. I bought him a 17 uh, for Christmas uh, as a Christmas bonus one time. And, and so I heard back, he absolutely loved it. 17 is a flat shooting, neat little uh, rifle. I wish I had one, a little, little bolt action. That, that's a good one. I agree. I don't have one, but I, I do love them. I am familiar with them and he loved it. That's what he did is he liked to go shoot um, pr prairie dog. I think prairie dog and, and stuff. He said it was just wicked, like, like a little laser beam, I think is how he described it. We have a super chat, goodness, a very generous super chat from Mr. Morris. Shout out to you, Mr. Morris. Thank you very much. Thank, I really appreciate that. He gives us a proverb. The proverbs, you should read a proverb a day, gentlemen. Every day a proverb. Get in the proverbs. Get, 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 get the good, good book out. Put it on your nightstand. Put it in your dresser or wherever. And just cogitate on that. Meditate on that. Just one, one a day. If you do nothing else, that's, that, there's good advice in that. One of my favorites. 
I should, I, oh, I, I don't have it memorized. I should have it memorized, but I'll, I'll give you the gist of it. it is that um, I think this was written by, by King David. And he talks about um, being a man and, and walking along about wisdom. And, and, he, and he walk, he's walking along and he looks at his neighbor and he says, I, I beheld and I looked and I, and I saw his, uh, um, I saw his um, stone fence was uh, in poor repair and, and falling down. I saw, I'll give it the modern equivalent today. I saw that the paint was peeling on his house and, and, the, and the roof was leaking. I saw that the grass was unkept and the, and the gutters were all full of grass. Basically, he looked at someone who didn't run their life very well, who didn't run, did, didn't appreciate the possessions that God had given them, did not take care of all of the things in his life. He said, I looked upon that and I received instruction. You know, that's very important. You look upon a man, you can look upon what he, what he, how he keeps himself. I was going to say what he wears. What he wears, it doesn't have to be expensive, but it does have to be well kept and clean and, and ironed if necessary, if, if appropriate. But you look upon that man and you can tell. When I used to be in charge of picking general contractors or hiring general contractors when I was working with my dad or working as a construction superintendent, that was the first thing that I wanted to do. I wouldn't wait for a guy uh, to park somewhere and then walk over to me. I would, you, would, you do form opinions from what he wears and how he keeps himself. That, that's important. But look at his car. Look at his truck. You, that's all you need to do. Just go and peek in there and look and see. Is there McDonald's all over the place? Is, there, is it dirty? Is it just... And again, it doesn't have to be new. I, I, I'd, actually, I'd actually prefer... To see a guy that drove a truck that was 10, 20 years old, that was well-kept, clean, tidy, neat, his tools organized like he cares, how he treats his truck is how he's going to treat your job. It's not hard to figure out. I mean, it's very easy. Same thing with wildland firefighting. And I've never known this not to be an accurate way to judge the character of a man or woman. You could, all you had to do is look at their boots. A lot of the old timers, that's what they would say. And they'd say, all I have to do to know all I need to know about a man is to look at his boots. Is he wearing whites? Is he wearing nicks? Is she have good laces in there? Uh, are they greased? Are they taken care of? Are they, just, are they just been left to dry out and no one cared? No one even thought about it? You take a person like that that won't, the, as important as boots are in a wildland firefighting ground that don't, doesn't have the wherewithal or just the intelligence or just doesn't even care about taking care of their feet, they're just not of much value to you. That, a person like that would immediately be put in a position where they're not going to cause, where they're going to cause as least, the least amount of trouble as possible. But you take a, and you take a person, this is regardless of, 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 it wouldn't matter, male, female, old, young, I wouldn't discriminate. More important, I, I would take a, a, an 18-year-old girl that had, was taking care of her boots over a guy that, that was just slovenly and, and, and didn't and had more experience. It's, it's important. It, it's, you, can teach, you can teach people how to do, do the job, but, but just having self-respect and caring about yourself and caring, caring about the work you do and, and, and trying to follow the good book, and, and which says whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, you can't teach that. That, that's, that's either you have it or you don't. I'm ranting. Thank you, Mr. Morris. Goodness. The proverb. We haven't even read Mr. Morris's proverb. The proverb Mr. Morris gives us here. He who has an ear, let him hear now. A good name is preferable to great riches. Favor is better than silver and gold. 
the rich and the poor meet together, is the maker, Yah, or, Yah, or is, the, is the maker of them all. Thank you. May God continue to bless you and your families. Yeah, that's, that, that, there you go, right there. I, I, we're on the same page. I think we were going to the same thing. A good name is more important than these things. What is your reputation worth? Reputation, honor, integrity, um, chastity, faithfulness. These are words that many think are from a bygone era that just don't have much sway or don't have as much emphasis or importance as they did back in the day. But God changes not. Those are just as important now, if not more important now, than they were in the past. And that's why we need to maintain those connections. You know, it, it, it's um, the things that, of all, that worked in the past, they still work today. And as a side note, and this is something that I've been somewhat convicted on, and I don't really know. I need to look into this. Mr. Morris, you'll see right there, he has, he has looks like he's spelled the name of, of Yah, Jehovah, in the, in the Jewish text. I have heard, and there's some people that I know think that it's a sign of disrespect to, to actually spell out God's name. Um, and I see a lot of people don't even capitalize it or capitalize Jesus, you know, and, and that, that's something that I, is even too far to go for me. But I wonder uh, if they know something that I don't. And that's a good reminder to see that. That is, um, I don't know. I'm going to have to look into that. There could be something to that. You know, we've, we're very casual with, with God sometimes um, and don't respect Him. Um, like we ought to. Uh, we don't under, we, we, you just kind of take it for granted. And a lot of it is the terrible teachings of the Western church that we grew up with. You know, what do we see? We see the pictures of, of Jesus, right? What do we, we see him with a lamb and we see him with the, with the golden locks and the, and the peaceful face and we see him with the little children and everything is always peaceful and serene. Yet those of us who know our Bible and know what to expect in the second coming realize that um, he is not um, anyone to be trifled with, and nor did the men in, in the uh, inside the inter- inside the perimeter of the temple. Uh, they they realized what his power was too when he came in there and overturned the money changers' tables and the gambling tables. Um, the good book tells us that that it was, he was so fearful that they all fled for their lives. So we we have this mis- we have this misconception that that gentle Jesus meek and mild, and and let's not confuse meekness with weakness. That, that, those are two very different things. And if you want to see what he will be like in his second coming, then go look, look in the Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation, the back, last book of the Bible. But that might be a lesson to me, and I appreciate that. You know, I don't know what the downside would be. I just don't know what's appropriate with that. I'll, I'll, I'll look into that. I'll definitely look into that. We have a new, a new member, Joby. Shout out to you, Joby. Thank you for supporting us, and enjoy your new member's badge, which is the awesome Overton's Green 940, his actual knife. How cool is that? We have a super chat from Ipo. Ipo writes, getting an AR kit and curious if you would recommend getting a 16 or a 20 inch. It depends. Now, if you all, if it's your first one, I would not go with a 20. A 20 is, um, that really gets you, really takes advantage of that, of that cartridge. However, it's a very unwieldy thing. It's very long. Now, if you already have a 16 uh, that's set up, you, you know, a 16 is a good balance. 14 and a half is better, perfect. But if you were just going to have one, I would stick with the 16. It's going to be a lot easier. Uh, to, it's going to be a lot more portable, 
mobile. You know, I don't really follow Clint Smith's doctrine on, on urban his urban rifle. He wrote a book on this, and he, he makes the argument that the AR-15 is the perfect home defense. Uh, and he goes in there, you know, I'm not going to argue it with you in penetration, and I get it. I know all that stuff. I get it. He makes a very good argument that that is the best way to go. And the 16-inch is just ubiquitous, and it's just the standard. That's going to work really good with most of your BDCs. If you buy an optic that's got built-in bullet drop compensators, most of those are going to be tailored for either 14, 5, or 16. They're going to be really good for that. And that would be, I, I would go with that. Now, if you find you've already built one, and, and you, you have that in your safe, and you want to, to go with a second one, I think it would, maybe it would make more sense to go one way or the other. I would either go down to an 11.5, 10.3 if you want. A 10.3 with a law folder on it is very compact and very nice for, to conceal. Any normal backpack that's a decent-sized book bag, that can be fed in there. You, you can fit it in bags that most people would not ever think that there would ever be a long gun in there. So I would go, I would probably depending on what you want to do, but I would probably go with the 10-3 over the 20. Now, if I had a 10-3 and a 16, then I'd look at maybe look at 18 or a 20. That would be my opinion. But again, this is just my opinion. I, I'm an enthusiast. I'm not an, ex, I'm not an expert. Um, but I have spent a lot of time looking into this. Goodness, Mr. Ben LePage. Shout out to you, Ben, our favorite Australian, our favorite Aussie. He's been with us for three years. Shout out to you, Ben. Ben is, there's not a video that goes by that I think Ben doesn't count on. I, I've come to uh, recognize his avatar, your avatar, and it's always good to see you. Always good to see you. Thank you. Uh, ben writes, hi, Cody. Do you recommend the 6.5 Creedmoor? I only, have seven, I only have a 17 HMR and want all-arounder. You should check out Mark and Sam after work for a long range, for a long range. Mark and Sam. I have not heard of Mark and Sam. A 17 HMR over the 6.4. Well, those are two very different things. You know, the, the, if we're talking about the 17, uh, that is, um, that's a good little varmint, varmint rifle. Uh, not to say you couldn't do other things with it, but it's pretty light, even lighter than a 22. But um, where your 6.5 is going to be, you know, that's going to be more of a military style or, you know, that, that's going to, you could hunt with that little bit on the light side for uh, elk, you know, a, a lot of big North American game, but not undual, not, not out of the question, certainly not out of the question. 308 be a little bit better if you wanted to have something, if you're just going to have one that you could go and you could take down a deer, you can take down elk. You know, my neighbor, our old neighbor, it's all really comes down to shot placement too and what your competency level is. You get into those bigger calibers, the, the 300 wind mags, uh, the 338s, of course, you know, the 340 Weatherby magnums, you know, those. You can get away with, you know, we used to aim for the neck. And if it was far away, we'd aim for the shoulder, you know, because that, that's where all the organs on it. And what those organs are, those bigger rifles, you know, you can maybe not have perfect shot placement and still get your animal. Where the, the, the 6.5 or the, your 270s, uh, you know, the 260s, those are all, traditionally out west have been deer hunting rifles, starter rifles, and a little on the smaller side. But the only man that I know that, have, that, that, that bagged more elk than my granddad was uh, my neighbor Henry. And he had, I think he had two or three more than my granddad did. And he hunted with nothing other than a 270. Uh, a two, 270 Winchester 
and he was you know known to be one of the one of the best shots um, around. And that, that was the only gun that he ever. That's the only one he had. And it's all he hunted with, and he was deadly with it. Be weary of a man who with only one rifle, and he definitely met that category. But thank you, Ben. It's good to see you here. We have new members, John Sanchez, shout out to you, and Dustin Nyphen, shout out to both of you. Congratulations. Thank you for your support. We'll see you over on the next member's live stream. We have a super chat from Joby, another super chat and new member, who says, do you, do you use the Mark III pumps in the U.S.? What is a Mark III? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I was thinking of shotgun. Uh, yes, we do. Uh, what he's talking about is... They're incredible pumps. I, I've used them extensively. I, I've used them a lot. I, actually, I've always been kind of keeping my eye on, open for them. A Mark III pump was developed probably sometime in the 50s or 60s by the U.S. Forest Service, and it is a very compact, super, super high-head, portable, two-stroke pump. I have had the misfortune of spending multiple days uh, attached to these things in charge of uh, putting hose lays up. Uh, they are very, very noisy. They're, they're known for being extremely noisy and extremely temperamental. Now, they're not particularly temperamental if you're not a Philistine and, and, and trying to reinvent the wheel and not following the procedure and flooding the thing and then causing those of us who know how to run them misery uh, for the rest of the day. But that's what you get. That's what you get with the Forest Service and with fire. You get new people rotating in, and you can't expect them to know everything. Unfortunately, there's just not the old season hands that there used to be uh, that, can, that can help out, and so it is the blind leading the blind, unfortunately. What these pumps are used for and what they're super effective for is lifting water tremendous heights. They can lift water, you know, they can push up, I think, over 200 PSI, Maybe more. I forget. I'd have to get my IRPG. I, I, I could, it's been so long. I used to know all those calculations off the top of my head, but I know how to reference them. So what they do is, let's say that you have a, a fire up, up on top of a ridge. Let's say it's 1,000 feet up there, but there's no water up there. And the only way to get water up there is to either pack it on your back and bladder bags or get the amazing Mark pumps. So what, what they'll do is we'll order up pump kits and the pump kit comes with uh, the pump, uh, a little, of course, you know, safety sally and environmental sally. Uh, you have the little drip tray in case it were to leak into the stream, you know, it's, it's all this foolishness. But it's a whole pump assembly with the red can and all that. And this pump we know will lift, let's say, let's say it'll lift 250 feet, 300 feet, whatever it is. You can put this thing in the creek, which is an unlimited supply of water. So you put the intake in the creek, you get the pump going, and you pump up to where as much as you can. And it depends on elevation and grade and how much hose lay and friction loss. There's a whole bunch to this, but let's say just for argument's sake that you can lift it 250 feet. Well, so what do you do now? You still have to go another 750. You lift it at 250 feet. So what we do is we put in uh, put up the big pumpkins, big inflatable tanks or sometimes metal tanks if you can get it, but the inflatables can be dropped in by aircraft. It's basically, just imagine like your little Walmart swimming pool that pumps up, right? It's like that, but a heavy duty industrial version of it. So we pump up to that and that's filling from the stream and unlimited supply. We set up another mark and we do a relay system. 
you, and you can put them in line. You can even put them in line so they boost each other. But one way, one way that we typically did it that was really good was, was having, so we'd, st we'd stagger multiple tanks and then pumps, multiple pumps, and with four pumps or three pumps, we would be able to deliver water and an unlimited supply of water for a, uh, to get to the fire up on the top as well as I've used them for structure protection. We've put them on, on fires. If a home had a, a stream or a pond or a creek or a swimming pool, a really good solid water supply, but it was too dangerous for us to stay, we would set a trigger point. Like, okay, when the fire reaches right here, we're leaving, whatever that may be, or whenever something happens, we see multiple tree torching, you know, whatever, as the weather changes, you know, the fire moves from, two, two, to, from 10 to two. 10 to 2 is when it's the hottest. Usually 10 o'clock, that's when things start happening and that's when the fire moves and that's when you gotta be really active. So we've had those pumps where we've dumped them into a creek, turned them on, put a sprinkler system around and just gave them a big supply of gas, five gallons of gas, started that thing up and said, Godspeed to you, we're out of here and the little things ran and save houses. Incredible. Yeah, if anyone wants to, wants, is looking for a Christmas idea for, for, uh, for me, um, I would love to have a Mark III pump. Just go ahead and uh, write your, you can just send that as a Christmas card. Just write your name on it and I'll give you the address and just send that on over. Um, and two would be even better. I love the Mark III pumps. I don't love listening to them. They're, no, they're super noisy, but they are very effective. We have a super chat from Tyler. Another super chat from Tyler. Shout out to you, Tyler. It says, do you worry about gun registration and the government coming for them? Thank you for their knowledge. Nope, I don't. I don't care. They can do whatever they want to. I've already decided in my mind what I'm going to do and what bridge uh, is going to be a bridge too far, as well as my neighbors, as well as my local sheriff. And we have a plan. So I'm not going to lose a bit of sleep over it. I don't care. Um, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And you should do the same. If you get my drift. Of course, you should always follow the laws. Thank you, Tyler. We have a super chat from Ward Cartwright. Shout out to you, Ward. Ward writes, have an old Indian chief fire axe in great shape. Is a fire axe a practical tool for a homestead or for less stuff, higher quality cell, or for less stuff, higher quality cell for Grand Force, more traditional axe? So a fire axe is, a fire axe is specifically designed for one thing and that is breaching and entering. It's very heavy. You know, your normal, like a good American felling axe is going to be, it's going to be in about the four pound range. That's going to be really, really nice. Even the double bit, the four pound double bit is about perfect for most guys. Three and a half, four pound. Now, if you're a, if you're a super chad and you do firewood for a living and you've built yourself up, you know, you can swing a five and a half pound axe. Guys did back in the day. Even guys back in the day, like some of the Sager chemicals that I have that are really long, those are heavier axes and they're longer than the tra traditional axes. And the guys would even run 48 inch handles on them, four foot handles on them to get the reach because the trees were so big. But for normal guys, that, that three and a half, four pound is a good size. A fire axe is a miserable thing to try to cut down a tree with. It's, it's very, uh, most of them, I haven't seen all of them. It's got a, a real, wide taper in it because it needs to be durable. You're, you, we used to use them in the fire service to just to chop through the sides of houses, chop through wiring, chop through metal doors. I mean, they're formidable. You put a big, you put a big 200 pound dude on one of those, he can do some serious damage. And they have a pick on the back. 
you know, which is, which is good for nothing other than just gaining entry or breaking windows or breaking glass. So I would say if you could, I don't know how much value it has, look them up and see, you know, if you could get $100 out of it, shine it up and pl apply that towards a good American felling axe, I would do that immediately. I just, I have them around here. Um, I just, I would never grab one to use for anything other than just um, breaching or force, force, forced entry. But it's good for that. It's very good for that. There is not a house, there is not a house in existence in this county that I couldn't be in in seconds with a fire axe. But better than that, you want to know what the ultimate breaching tool is. Hold on. I call this the universal key. Now you're going to notice that this one's brand new. Whenever I bring brand new tools out, mama, we ha we're running the show here, you know. Whenever I bring brand new tools out, I get, to, I get all sorts of um, people give me a hard time. It's like, well, he doesn't even use these things. He just buys them and shares them. Trust me, I've used these things. I started with these when I had my excavating company, and they are very, very handy. This is a, a pinch point bar, and it's about, uh, I don't know what this thing weighs. It weighs a lot. It's got a 60 on it, but I don't know what that means. A pinch point bar has a taper on it, a square end, about four foot tall. Is that four foot tall? Oh, a little over, maybe four and a half feet tall, and it's heavy. You can gain entrance into anything with this. There isn't hardly a commercial door. There isn't um, um, barred windows that you can't pry off of. You can lift. I can change the tire with this and a bunch of a cribbing or chunks of firewood. I can lift a, a car up and change a tire. Uh, you'll get into any vehicle accidents. There's nothing that's going to stop a man with this. A, a professional homeowner with proper motivation uh, will uh, get into whatever he want, needs to get into with one of these. And they, you should have one of these on hand. They are very, very handy. If you ever come, don't go buy a new one. If you come across one at a garage sale, uh, estate sale, have it. Um, and really good if you, if you live in a place that has hard soil or clay, I know some of you guys down south have some of that hard pan clay that's really hard to dig in or ice, anything like that. You can break rocks with these. You know, if you, there, there's going to be, things are going to be changing, gentlemen. The access to all of the cool tools and the chipping hammers and, and even just having the money to hire someone to come out and dig stuff for you, that, that's going to not be a, an option for a lot of people in the near future. And we're going to be going back to the way my granddad did things. You know, my granddad, how... How it works is when cities were being built, when you, when you, you know, when he built his first house in World War II, after World War II, he put in a septic system, a septic system with a septic tank, you know, what's very common for, for most houses. As cities expand, you know, they put sewer treatment in, they bring sewer mains in, and then you're, you're, you're obligated to connect to these things. Well, granddad, when those, when that sewer line came through in the, in the early sixties, you know, he People had a lot less then. He didn't have money or there was, I don't think there were backhoes. You know, if you wanted to dig your sewer, uh, you dug it by hand and him and his brother came over or his brother came over and uh, they started digging and they had to dig down 12 feet. That's how, that's how deep the sewer was laid through the street. And they started digging and they dug that up by hand. 
And it's in an area where there's just notorious for boulders. It's where I grew up. And I know I've done a lot of excavating up there. And you, whenever you bid a job, you always have what they call a rock clause. So you may bid the job for $10,000, but it's like, unless, <laughs> unless we start hitting rock, and then it's going to be time and material. Uh, so him and his brother, with one of these and a sledgehammer, hand dug at 12, 12 feet. If you think that's a small job, you go dig a trench about 70 feet long that starts two foot deep at the house and then tapers down to a 12 foot hole through hard rocky ground and tell me how easy that is. Uh, it is not, but, but it can be done and it was done and our, and our grandfathers did that. My granddad built his house. He didn't have enough money to do a basement. It was just a small modest house and he knew, so he just, the bare minimum, they put the foundation up, him and his brother, they both built houses and they did what they could do. Well, after work, you know, once he got that house built, he went to work every evening. He went down there and started digging his basement and he dug the basement by hand with pick and shovel. And there were, he said, he told me that there were, there were boulders down there. And I saw it because that was the house I grew up in and, and it was never finished. You know, parts of it were, that were remained dirt, but he needed a workspace. He needed extra shop. And he would go down there. My, my Nana said, he, your granddad would be down there after work with a sledgehammer and a pinch point bar. And he would, if he couldn't pry the rocks out, he would pulverize them and swing that sledgehammer and break them into pieces small enough to put in a five-gallon bucket and haul them outside. That's what men did. That may be a surprise to you, but that's what they did. And that's what you can do too. And that's what you will be doing. <laughs> so you better have the tools. You better have the tools. Goodness, I'm ranting. We have a new member, Robert. Shout out to you, Robert. Robert Cabana, shout out to you. Man, thank you. I'm all these new members. Man, wouldn't it be nice? I have a dream. Wouldn't it be nice if we could get to the point where we could just shut off all of the comments and shut off all of the channel uh, to all of the, the Philistines and just have a members-only channel? Man, wouldn't that be awesome? Dare to dream, dare to dream. Spartan219, shout out to you, Spartan. Spartan's back in my good graces. He says, hi, brother, what kind of cologne do you wear, if any? Well, you know my cologne is ballastol and gasoline. Those are the two. Usually I smell like gasoline because if ever I have to pick up a can or I come within, within a couple 18 inches of anything, any sort of a receptacle with gas in it, it will be on me. Uh, so if you were to ask Mrs. W what cologne I wear, it would be uh, oil and gas, uh, the stinky variety. Um, I do have some cologne. Man, this is getting personal. It's um, De Balm. I like that one. I like that one. I don't wear it very often, just like for Christmas or once in a while. If we really dress up, I'll, I'll splash a little bit on. Actually, the Sweet Loaf loves it. I think it's, I think it's called... D.A. bomb. It's a little, um, it's in a little bottle that looks like a hand grenade. It smells pretty good. But uh, I put it on uh, probably three times uh, since the baby's been the last couple years or so, but she loves it. So when I put it on, she wants it on too. So she comes in in my closet. So what I do is I so okay, get ready, get ready to rotisserate. And I spray it up in the air. And as it, as it comes down, we spin around and we get it all over us. And, and that's how we do it. <laughs> <laughs> in case you wanted to know, but that's, I like that one, but I, I, I haven't checked them all out. I'm not a big scent person. Actually, I'm 
hyper, hyper sensitive to uh, scents. Uh, Mrs. W, I have a zero scent policy in the house. Anything that she uses, any sort of a cleaner or detergent or deodorant or anything in our house, I'm, I'm really particular about it. I cannot stand any synthetic smells. Like some people, those people that have those uh, air fresheners, Goodness, my mom used to do that. Oh, we're going to spray this toxic chemical all over our house. It's going to be in the carpet. It's going to be in our clothing. It's going to be circulating in the HVAC. It's just going to be in here forever. Who knows what's in it, but that's an air purifier. If something stinks in your house, maybe you need to root out the stink rather than trying to masquerade it with poison. I, I never understood that. My Nana was the same way. She would buy those hateful little things with the scent packages and you plug in the wall with the fan that would walk in there and just the, the, the horrible stink and smell of those things. Like Mrs. W accidentally, she, this is funny. The other day I came out of my closet, like with my hair on fire, like, what have you done? I smelled like, like uh, that um, detergent smell, like just like a tide, you know, just normal stuff that you put on clothing. Well, it was my own fault. I had, she had, I didn't know this, but she had <laughs> set aside some of this um, OxyClean, I think is what it was. She says that for things that are really, really bad, that this is the only one that will work, that, the, that these greeny ones that, that I have, these scent-free natural ones that, that I demand, um, don't clean as well. And for things that like, are just necessary, that she sets that aside and washes them separately and then washes the tub out, because so I, I just can't stand the smell of it. Well, she was gone. And I reached up there and grabbed one of those things or took a scoop of it, not knowing, because that's not, that's not my P.O.R., uh, and put it in there. And it, when I, I didn't realize that when I put it on, it, it was just, I mean, I couldn't even stand it. I couldn't get it off. I, I was in the, I'll tell you, so I was bad before with these I, fake smells. Since I've been doing the Wim Hof thing and that I'm coming up on two weeks with the cold shower now, my sense of smell has increased dramatically. Like I, I, I'm, uh, and food, the taste of food has increased dramatically. Like I've really been enjoying food. Like oh, I did, I forgot how good food tastes. It just, it had, it's awakened this in me. And my sense of smell is exceedingly keen now, way, way keener than it was before. I was, when I came back from halfway last weekend, this is a true story. I was um, uh, Baker City. I was coming, I, I came, was at Baker City about 7 a.m. I left halfway early and I was hungry. So I stopped at a truck stop for breakfast. And when I, I was in there pretty early, there was only a couple people and I slid into a booth and ordered my food. There was a, not the booth behind me, but another booth. So there was an empty booth between us. Two guys came in like a father and son and sat down in this booth. The, the smell of the fabric whatever that they used, the detergent on their clothes, I know that smell was so overpowering to me, wafting over from probably 12 feet away, I almost couldn't stand it. I, had I not already had my food been served, I would have moved to a different table because it, it, so, it was so offensive to me, that, that smell. My sense of smell has become so keen from this. And another thing I'll tell you, um, I haven't played video games since COVID. Jack and I used to play a little bit and I haven't played them for a long time. Well, we were going through some stuff and we found Jack's old uh, Nintendo Switch. 
and it had Mario Kart on there. Mar Mario Kart is a great game. And so the, the Sweet Loaf and I, it was a Sabbath afternoon, and we were just chilling and hanging out. And I said, let's boot up the old Switch, and, and I'll teach you how to play Mario Kart. That's a, that's a fun game to play. So I was, um, and I had, um, I had, I was, it, was, it was in the morning. It was in the morning. I, we were playing this, and so I had played it for an hour or so with her, and then I, I, we shut it down. Uh, Mrs. W was making breakfast, and I, um, I went and took my cold shower. I did. I, went, I go through the Wim Hof breathing thing. It takes me about forty-five minutes. Did my cold shower. Come out just like my hair on fire. Just feel, I feel like I'm, I told Mrs. W when I came out on Sabbath. I said, "Man, I feel like I'm twenty. I literally feel like I'm twenty. It's just incredible." I went from playing that game Mario Kart. After that, and we jumped back in after breakfast and played for another hour. My concentration and focus and my ability to just to, to, to perceive and to react, my reaction time was, was greatly enhanced. It, it was noticeable. I'm like, oh, I was noticing things about the game. I was noticing details that I'd never noticed before. It was really, really miraculous. Very, very interesting. This, it, it, this, is, changing, this is changing my body in, in ways that it's hard to perceive and understand. Mrs. W even told me, uh, I think it was I think it was Saturday or Sunday. She's like you you even sm sm you have a, you smell different than you used to. So I don't know, man. I don't I don't begin to understand it, but it, it's it's miraculous. I feel I feel great. I feel really great. Maybe that was Sunday. I might be confused. Whatever it was, it was Saturday or Sunday, but it was amazing. We have a super chat from Robert Cabanaw. Shout out to you, Robert. And Robert writes, "Oh, a new member. Welcome." Right. So, how do you feel about piston? versus DIARs. I personally prefer it due to the benefits around uh, galding, carbon buildup, bolt carrier group receiving. Well, this is, you know, this is a very controversial topic. What he's talking about is, is DI, direct impingement, uh, versus, or DI versus uh, piston. Uh, the Ritz, Eugene Stoner developed the AR as a, it's, it's a gas blow, DI, gas blowback system. So one issue with that, or if, if you don't look after it, is that uh, the gas, there's a little port in the top of the barrel, and that siphoned off, some of that pressure siphoned off and ran backwards through a tube that mates up with the top of the BCG, and that pushes that back, that, that blows that back. Well, all of the carbon and buildup, that blows that right into, into, the, into the bolt area, and it, it gets dirty in there. It gets really dirty, and there's a lot of carbon. It's not a problem. It works really well if you keep it clean and you understand it. You know, I mean, I take care of my, my firearms. I understand how they work. You know, when I clean it, I pull the bolt out, you know, and I have the little special scraper and I scrape all that stuff off. I understand it and I keep it really lubricated so it's just dripping. You just can't put enough oil in those things. It's fine, that's what, that's what they like. The nice thing about DI is it's simple, it's ubiquitous. It's, it's, um, you're gonna be able to interchange parts with everything that's out there. There's nothing proprietary. It, for the most part, if you're dealing with high quality, you know, if you're Daniel Defense, um, uh, Knights, uh, Lewis Machine and Tool, uh, you know, I don't know, pick your brand. Those are my brands, obviously. Uh, you'll be able to interchange, well, not with Knights so much, or LMT. <laughs> Daniel Defense, there we go. Uh, but it's lighter weight, it's ubiquitous, it's simple, uh, it works. It's been proven it's worked for a long time, um, long, long time. DI uh, is more like your AK, and instead of the gas, uh, you, have a he you have a metal rod that's blowing back there. Some benefits to that. 
adjustable gas blocks. You know, you can run multi, if you're running different loads or you're running really crappy Wolf ammunition, you can change the pressure on how hard that's kicking the bolt back, which is very nice. And you don't have all the dirt and the problems with that. You don't have gas, you can run, you, you can, they're so interchangeable, you could go either way. You know, you can swap up barrels and stuff. So I think it's cool. You know, I mean, I, I would, I don't have a problem with it, but just even if it's, if, even if it is better because it's so exotic, and, and it's proprietary parts, that's a no-go for me because I need, to, I need everything for the war band, my, my group of men that we've got together that are, um, work together and you know, kind of on the same page, our, our, our inner circle, uh, has decided to have everything be the same. So that if I needed to pull a BCG or, or throw me this or a part or swap an upper with a lower, it's all going to match up. It's all going to be the same. So for that reason alone, I don't like it. Now, would I take a 416? Would I trade? If, if someone were to give me a crate of 416s, H&K 416s uh, for the warband, would I, um, uh, would I, um, I, you bet I'd use them. <laughs> you better believe I'd use them, and I would throw out all the DIs. So it depends. It, it depends. If you are, um, if you're going to go out there and be Rambo and an army of one, then do what you what works for you. But if you think you might be needing to work with other men um, and, sh and part share, you know, you might want to consider that. Not everyone's going to be down with that. Um, and there's a lot of controversy. To come out and say uh, DI is better or uh, th uh, that's just, you, know, it, I, I, you, can't, you can't go there. You can, just can't go there. They're both good. They're both fine. Goodness, we have a $100 super chat from Mr. Morris. Shout out to you, Mr. Morris. That is exceedingly generous. Generous. These help, gentlemen. This is help. We have a lot of expenses. I'm, I'm, not, I'm never asking for money from anyone. If anyone gives, it's out of their own heart. Um, I told God, I said, we have this project that we're working on. We want to build, we want to have a place where people can come, where we can, we can have a center. Uh, it, it's going to cost money. All this stuff helps. We're doing this all out of pocket. You know, 90% of it's going to come out of our own pocket, and we're happy to do it. Um, uh, it should, but all of this helps, and we really appreciate that. I can't emphasize that enough. Mr. Morris writes, the father is leading me and has used me to network with others of faith. I am, on this, I am in the same state and I'm thankful to Yah uh, that you have forgiven me via my last. I am Torah observant with your permission. I'd like to bring a copy of the scriptures to your home. Don't come to my house. <laughs> if you want to contact me, you can uh, reach out through Overton. I'll be happy to, if you have something that's important that applies to what we're doing here, um, and you can get past my gatekeepers, um, I would be happy to speak with you. But to show up to someone's house like that, that's not something you should do. Um, please, don't, please don't do that. Uh, not to say that that's not an option you know, for in the future. As I said, if, if everything clicks and everything works, and if the plans all go as looking, you know, we could be you know, 12 to 18 months. This could be a reality. Uh, but um, contact Overton. Um, he'll vet you a little bit. He's my right hand, and then um, if that's something that, uh, if that's God's will, it'll, it'll happen. Uh, but um, we have to, I hope you understand, we have to take precautions around here as well. But goodness, that's very, very, I very much appreciate that. And, you know, the, there's a lot of Christians getting back into Torah, Torah observant, meaning what, what he's basically talking about. And, and I, I haven't got there yet, and I don't know if I will get there but I don't know. But I don't know that that that, that I won't. 
what he's talking about is that there's a lot of Christians saying that we've lost our way, that um, we should we still have an obligation to be keeping a big portion of it is keeping the feasts of the old days uh, from the Old Testament, the unleavened bread and Passover and these things that our Jewish friends keep, right? Well, the other half says that no, these things were nailed to the cross, that, that the old law was done away with, that, that, that Christ crucified in resurrection, that that was the fulfilling of these things. Those were all things that pointed to him. The sacrifices in the Temple of Solomon, the sacrifices in, in the desert, in, in the tabernacle, all of those were a foretelling or a foreshadowing of the Messiah. And a lot of people believe that that the Messiah fulfilled those things and that we're no, under, no longer under those obligation. Now, I can't say what side I fall on that because if I, if I look at it objectively, even the, the early church still kept those feasts and those festivals. And, and they, that was post-resurrection. So an argument could be made that these are something that we maybe we should look at. I just I don't know about that. You know, I haven't been convicted on that. I don't I don't understand. I don't I just can't say I'd hate to be on the wrong side. And you know, it, it might be and I don't know if you could say, well, just to cover our bases and maybe we should what's the downside? What do you have to lose by keeping these feasts? What a what a wonderful celebration. Are they not the things that point to the salvation that comes through Jesus anyway? And is it it would is it bad to go to to, to do more? I don't know. I just don't know about that. You know, the, the, Paul tells us, let every man be convinced in his own mind. And that's important. If you've come to that conclusion, if you've come to that understanding, and you believe that that's a salvation issue for you, and that's what God wants you to do, then by all means, you need to do that. But, but be very careful about projecting that upon other people, because we, maybe we haven't got there yet. Maybe we're on the path there. You know, that analogy, it's, a, it's tired, you know, but it's so apropos is that, you know, the road to God, the road back to the kingdom is like a ladder. And there's some people high up on rungs and there's some people that have just stepped on. They just put their, they've got one foot still on the ground, right? It doesn't mean that they're not on the path. And if there's a man up above that's dropping stones or oil and feathers and take down to try to cause a stumbling or difficulty for those that are climbing the ladder that are not up to his level yet, then he would be cast off himself. You know, that's not, we're not, that's not being done in love. Paul said, let every man be convinced in his own mind. Do it yourself. If that's what your conviction is, you need to follow that. Lead by example and if and when it's our time to come to that understanding, and if God shows us that that is something that, that He wants us to do, then we'll react to that. Uh, but just remember to do it lovingly, and don't be, be putting just don't be putting under, undue burdens upon people. If someone's just coming to the knowledge of the Scripture, you know you need to keep it simple. Paul says you need to give him the milk of the Word, not solid food. You know, he says, yes, for us who understand, we, we need the solid food. We're adults. You know, we can handle these things. But don't lay these heavy burdens and all these obligations on, on new believers or baby Christians that are just fledging, fledgling and just getting started. That's not done out of love. And you will be guilty. That would be a great sin if you discourage someone that's just getting started by, by, by placing heavy burdens upon them. So... I understand that. I know what you mean. I, I have a lot of people that have sent me books about this truth, about the, the Messianic Christian, Christians and the importance of these things. And I don't, I, you know, I don't mean to, to, 
stomp on you, Mr. Morris. But I understand the enthusiasm you have that you have found this truth. Just temper it. See it through. Practice it yourself. Pray for folks. And if we come to that realization, we will do it. And that's, that's the way we need to do it. That's the loving way to do it. Thank you for your generosity, though. It's not, it's not lost on us. We have a super chat from our friend, Tony Bologna. Shout out to you and one month member. He upgraded to a G19 Gen 5. Yeah, very good. Very good. That's the way to go. That's where it's at. The 19X is my personal favorite, but I also have a 19 and a Gen 3, which is not as good as the Gen 5. With the, it's got the hateful finger grips on it, but uh, it'll get it done. It'll get it done. Thank you, Tony. Congratulations, man. That's a, that's a fun thing to get a, a, a new G19. That's a, that's a big day. I remember distinctly every purchase, every one I purchased it was a great day. We have a super ch chat from DJINN. Shout out to you, DJ. He says, sir, I have a question. I am a conservative RV adventurer, and I am trapped in California currently due to business. Where should I go next to find a comfortable place to live? Oh. Trapped in California. Well, it would, if you're living in an RV, for, if it were me, I would follow the weather. Uh, it would be wet weather dependent. There is nothing nicer uh, in the wintertime than the, the, the southwest, uh, the deserts. I spent a winter in, um, in Prim, Nevada. I was building a store there, and I'd never spent time in the desert before. And... Oh, goodness, the deserts in the evening time and to be able to sit outside um, in a just in a maybe just have a light sweater on and the colors of the death. I would I'd head down to the southwest. I would you, you're not limited. You don't have to be up here in the cold, miserable rain and the dripping and the all, all of that stuff. Uh, and, and the expense, it's expensive to heat an RV. You're burning tons of propane. It's all the, that rain puts a bunch of wear and tear on your stuff. I'd go down there. I, I'd head down there. Go up around, up in the high mountains around um, uh, in Arizona. That's pretty nice down there. And then in the summertime, I would head up to the Pacific Northwest, come up and see Crater Lake, go up and uh, tour the uh, Olympic National Forest. Uh, if you have the means, go out uh, west uh, to, the, to the western side of Glacier, go up the, the, the Platthead River up there. Uh, goodness, that's beautiful up there. I, that's, that's what I would do. Yeah, it'd be, it's pretty nice to be able to uh, be mobile like that and move around. Yeah, you can get out of California. Get, get down there to get down there. Go up to and there, it surprised me how how high the mountains are up there. I think it's is it Arizona. What's that, What's that big town? Down? I don't remember. It's nice down there. That's where I'd go. Shout out to you, Overton. Thank you very much. Overton says, keep in mind you you can have a lot of fun shooting long range with a twenty-two or seventeen as well. That long range is just 300 yards. You will get better fast. Yeah, he makes a really good point. You know, you can get, most people could never shoot, could never hit a target at 300 yards, to be honest with you. Even guys that have like super skookum tactical setups, like behind me. Uh, I've been my experience. Unless you have been taught or grew up hunting and understand what long range shooting is. You know, I was shooting long range with hunting rifles, you know, when I was... 615, 16. I would say the average shot for us for elk in Hell's Canyon was 400 to 500 yards, 600 yards, 
that was common. I hunted with a 300 Weatherby Magnum with a three to nine. My granddad was the best shot of any man I've ever known. And he hunted with a Remington seven millimeter Magnum that he bought in 1960 when they first came out, like the first model 700. I don't know what that must've been. I'll bet I'm guessing around 63, which I have my safe right over there. And he hunted with a four power Redfield. And he, I watched him shoot I watched him shoot mule deer in excess of 900 yards on the move, on the move, 900 yards of the four power scope. I saw it happen. I saw him do it and he did it routinely. Not that particular shot. That was one of the greatest ones, but he was, he didn't miss. There was no missing with him. He, if, he, if it was in his sights and he had, you know, he had a good rest, it was, as he put it, it was meat in the freezer. So, and Overton's absolutely right. And 22 is the most fun, most fun rifle there is to shoot. No question about it. it. It is. And 300 yards is no joke. Most people can't, they can't do that. I, I've done it before. I know, I know how hard it is and what's involved in it. And I mean, you got to be squared away. I mean, you have to have like the craftsmanship and attention to detail that go into that 700 behind me, you know, from the jewel trigger to the Macmillan A3 hand-laid fiberglass stock to the proof carbon barrel to the boring and the blueprinting and the and the cut and the you know badger ordnance bottom metal mark 8 scope front focal plane I mean particular ammunition work you know lo loads you shoot the same ammunition you know the there's a lot a lot that goes into it you don't just sit down um, and shoot 1500 meters without having put your work in uh, and know what you're doing unless someone's unless you're using someone else's rifle that's already done it it's it's no joke it's not a given by any means and the 17 and the 22 like you said at 300 yards that's an accomplishment yep i agree martin kohler shout out to you our newest member welcome and enjoy your new members badge you can thank overton for that overton that little beautiful green 940, which is the, the best EDC knife, or let's not say the best, the official EDC knife of the professional homeowner is his actual blade. Shout out to you, Overton. We have a super chat from Miles David who writes, hey there, uh, thank you for all you do. What denim jacket is that you're wearing? This denim jacket is a 21 ounce indigo dyed Japanese denim made by Ironheart, Japan. Um, it is their heaviest, it is a, uh, a cop, or it, it is a take of the original, a very close representation of the original Levi trucker jacket, uh, but made the way that they would have made them in the 50s and 60s. The stuff Levi makes now is not high quality. What, so interesting, are we going to get into Japanese denim here? Just quickly, just give you an overview. I'm heavy, heavy into Japanese denim. It's, that's my whole wardrobe. That's all I wear. I like it uh, because it is the way denim or what they would have called dungarees back in the 40s and 50s was made by what well, was made with quality in the United States. How the Japanese got into de denim was post-World War II. There were a lot of servicemen that were over there stationed in Japan for the rebuilding and family members would send them 501s, Levi's. Levi's were really were, were popular. The jeans were really popular. Well, the, the Japanese really took to those and, and really uh, liked it. it was high, they were in high demand. 
And the, the Japanese servicemen would take these genes in and, and have them altered or hymned and all of that. And so the Japanese started to acquire these and manufacture them thems themselves. There are small niche companies like Ironheart that has purchased and, and found and reconditioned the original looms, the way things were made, and they, they go back and they do it the way it was done. Like the blue in the indigo, denim should be dyed with pure indigo. That's the, way, the proper way to do it. And it's dyed by hand. The man who dyed this jacket, his hands are blue for two weeks after the process. He actually dyes the threads. And it's very, very fascinating. I love the history of it. I love the quality of it. Um, I like th the fact that the folks that are building these jackets and building the pants are, are being paid a, a proper wage, that they're craftsmen, that they're made as the best that they can be made, and they're made the way that they should be made. They're made to last. And they're, they're, if you buy one of these, if you pay $350 for an Ironheart jacket, it's going to be a jacket you'll have the rest of your life, and you'll most likely pack, pass it down to your kids. It's gonna, you're going to enjoy wearing it. So it, that's... I could do a whole, I could talk on this for hours. It's, it's a passion of mine. I, I'm, I very much, I'm very much into it. We have a super chat from Stubby. And new member, shout out to you, Stubby. Welcome. See you on the, on the members only chat. He says, Cody, I love the channel. I nabbed a trail boss for a budget, for a budget general use axe. Can you recommend a decent splitting axe that won't break the bank? Yeah. They're getting harder to find, but the, I would, if you could go, if you can buy a, a Husqvarna splitting axe, those are, they're machine forged, but they're forged on the old machines. They're properly forged. They're, they're forged the same way that a Grand Force Brooks is, is forged, or they were five years ago. I don't know if anything's changed. And they are excellent. They're basically what you're getting is you're getting a Grand Force Brooks for half price. Um, they're not going to come quite as sharp, but you can do that. I've got tons of videos on that. You can do that yourself with a file and a stone and make it just as nice as anything that comes from, from the elites. The handles are not quite as nice, but they're nice enough. And for half the price, they're really good. I would look at one of those. Also, if you're looking for a good U.S. manufacturer, and I have used a lot of the tools from council tools. Council tools, again... I haven't looked at them for a couple of years, but Council Tools still makes USA-made tools. And you can usually get into their axes, and they have multiple grades. And the, and the grades, you can buy a lower grade, or you can buy their top of the line, which is the Velvet Cut. Now, the Velvet Cut, if memory serves, is the same as the lower one, just nicer, nicer finish. They, you know, a man or a woman put time on it, hand-finished it. You know, they did the work for you. Maybe a little bit more polish on it, but it doesn't necessarily affect the, the tool itself. There's nothing that you can't do at home, and it isn't a delight to do at home. Um, so Council Tools makes a good tool. I've used, they're heavily used in wildland firefighting and, and heavily used in structural firefighting. I've seen them at multiple departments I've been at, and I've never seen one with a loose head. And that's saying something. So I would look at Husky, Husqvarna, and Council Tools for those. We have to acknowledge the elephant in the room, which is the, the hateful Fiskers. Now, the hateful Fiskers, like the XX75 or whatever that big monster that they have, that is a good splitter. Let's, let's be honest. I mean, don't, don't, don't get it twisted that it's not going to be a good tool. And at a great price. I mean, what can you buy one for? $65, $75? Maybe, maybe they're more now. 
it's not going to be as nice to use. It's going to have a plastic handle on it, but it is going to be tough. It's going to last a long, long time. And if you don't, if you don't take, like to take care of things or it's, you don't have time to take care of things and you leave the thing outside, it's not going to be the end of the world. So I, we have to address it. Um, they, they are effective and they do work. There's guys that split wood professionally and they swing them. So uh, it wouldn't be my choice. I, I, the wood handle is superior. It's much nicer to use. It's, it, I mean, do you want to hold on to oil or do you want to hold on to something that's, that's natural, that, that has a nice snap to it and that you enjoy working with? Because splitting wood is hard work. And if you have some crappy old piece of junk with a, a handle full of uh, sun-check varnish that is so rough and nasty that you have to wear gloves with it, it's hard to work with gloves. It takes extra strength to hold on to wood with gloves, especially if they don't fit right. Most, it's, I mean, it's rare to get to find good gloves. Most of the gloves you have are not very good and they get wet and they shrink and you, know, you have to hold on to it tighter and you, know, you just need to toughen up a little bit. Get out there, get some calluses on your hands, get a good wood handle. You'll just enjoy, it just gets better over time. Do it with the boiled linseed oil. Would you buy a new one? Every day for a week, every week for a month, every month for a year and then annually. That's how you do it. That's how you do your boiled linseed oil. And then you'll get a beautiful patinaed handle that will darken, that will be smooth to your hand, that you'll enjoy using. It just makes the whole experience enjoyable. It's like working with nice tools versus crummy tools. AVE said it perfectly. You know, when trying to talk about talking, covering the, 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 should I buy snap-on tools? You know, the, the, the debate rages on forever and ever. You know, one side says, absolutely, they're worth paying four prices for because they're just better. The other side says, no, you're a moron for buying them. I can get something just as good for half price, whatever, right? He summed it up perfectly. When you're down in the bottom of a mine, knee-deep in miner piss, having the worst day of your life, freezing to death, trying to fix some broken piece of equipment, and you reach down and you grab that 82 snap-on ratchet, he says, at least you have that. <laughs> you know, and it's true. I mean, I've been standing on my head in places where the job was work and shade tree and out in the gravel and things like that. And you reach over and you grab that 82 snap-on ratchet, ratchet and you see that and, you, and it just brings a little bit of joy to your life. It just makes things better. So you can't put a price on that, gentlemen. You just can't. You don't need to have a full set of snap-on tools, but at least get yourself our 80-tooth ratchet, a hard handle. Miles Davis, thank you. Boy, you've, you're awfully generous. Sure appreciate that. Really appreciate your faithfulness and generosity, Miles. We have a super chat from Gary Klein. Shout out to you, Gary. And Gary writes, team up with Steven Crowder. Uh, build members only. I can't get with Steven Crowder. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna get into that. But I, I, I can't get. I can't get with with neocons. I mean, if you got still got people out there that that are Republican Democrat, and and if we could just get our guy in, it'll make the difference. I mean, come on now. Professional homeowners have moved on from that about a year ago, or two. I don't know. Maybe he's fighting the good fight. You know the way he conducted himself over that last thing with the, uh, what, what's the name of the, Overton, what's the name of that media company that just offered him the $50 million deal that he um, backed out of? What is that? Anyway, he, he um, the way he handled that was very 
it was not honorable. Uh, and the and he portrayed it as if someone was trying to screw him or rip him off. He recorded conversations of um, of a trusted friend that he had a lot of relationship with, unknown and didn't tell him, and then played it out there to try to make him make him look bad or to make Stephen look like he's a freedom fighter for the cause. And all it did was make Stephen look like a piece of garbage and breaking the confidence of a friend and burning a bridge. He's not someone, in my opinion, um, that I would hold up in high regards as, as, a, as, a, as someone fighting for the cause. Um, I think you need to look into that a little bit. Um, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't be involved with him in anything. We have a super chat from Corey Gardner, new member, I'm sorry, new member, our newest member, second newest, oh, our newest member. Shout out to you, Corey. Welcome. Welcome. Hope to see you over on the member stream. We sure appreciate that. And Tim Caldwell, he's been with us for two years. Shout out to you, Tim. Tim says, brother, haven't used a pitch bar, but opened many doors with a Halligan bar. Yeah, Halligan. Halligan is a quintessential firefighting tool. Excellent tool. I've got one of those around here somewhere. Uh, thank you for the daily makes living in Florida tolerable. Flo living in Florida it is rough. I, I lived there. I, I got to experience the four seasons, which are not four seasons. It's hot and then super hot. <laughs> I couldn't think of an expletive that would be appropriate. Uh, yes, yeah, Florida. Yeah, that, that's rough. Halligan Bar. What he's talking about is about Halligan bars is something good to have too. It's about half the length of this and it's got a fork on the end and then a series of couple spikes like this. And yeah, if you want to gain entry into a commercial building, commercial door, Halligan bar, that's the way to go. And a Halligan bar is a lot easier to transport. You're going to be able to keep a Halligan bar in the toolbox of your truck these are a bit unwieldy, you know, unless you have like a big service truck, you know, no one's packing around a pinch point bar, but Halligan's good. Yep. Look for, go get a Halligan. If you want a um, end of time universal key or zombie apocalypse universal key, uh, go on eBay and get yourself a Halligan. There's even um, collapsible. I've even seen collapsible versions. I would avoid that. Those are not as strong. We have a super chat from Peter. Svenson, I'm, I'm guessing that you are of Scandinavian descent. Shout out to Scandinavia, Mrs. W. We, we represent, of course. Uh, thank you for your generosity. We sure appreciate that. And from Mr. Morris, goodness, $100 from Mr. Morris. My, ap my apologies for the disconnect. I just wanted to send you a copy of the scriptures. I hope you forgive me if you thought I wanted to come to your house. I simply wanted to reach out and maybe link up later according to you. Yeah, I... If I took that wrong, I apologize to you uh, 100%. I just, I, I have to be hyper careful about those sort of things. You know, we've had folks, we've, we've had some problems in the past with that. And that's something that I definitely don't, I do want to discourage. Uh, I would be uh, honored to receive that if that's what your intent was. Uh, just get with Overton. Um, he can field that for me and we'll, uh, we'll make that happen. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm open. I, as I said before, you know, I, I, the thing about moving forward from this time forward, and I encourage you guys to kind of take the same mindset, is that let's, let's not be dogmatic about, about who God is, who his people are, and where his teachers, prophets, priests, where, where they may come from. You know, 
I've been thinking of late, a lot of people think in the, in the, in the like the early, the, the, the Pharisees, the leaders of the, of the Jewish people back in, in Christ's time, you know, they, their whole job was they spent all day long searching the scriptures. You know, they, they teach the little ones. They would even memorize the entire books. And they were looking for the coming of the Messiah. And they had no doubt in their mind that, that, that the Messiah would come through them, that would show up there or be born into, into one of the prominent families or whatever and, and be part of the Sanhedrin or part of the Sadducees or the Pharisees. But God never works that way. He never come, He never sends His prophets or teachers or people from, from the, the establishment. And what's the establishment today? Like if you thought, what is the establishment Christian church? What is that today? Is that the mega churches? Is that the Olstein crowd? You know, it, the, I mean, if you think that God's going to send, rise up His prophet or teachers from that segment of the population... I mean, he could do anything he wants to, but I find that highly unlikely. What, look at examples. You know, a good portion of the people, John, John the Baptist was, was, in, was in prison, in and out of prison multiple times. Um, Paul. Uh, uh, my, my mind goes blank, but, but uh, John wrote, served a 12-year sentence on the Isle of Patmos where he wrote his gospel. So in prison, if you were to look say, you know, back in the day, and for people looking for the coming of the Messiah or from coming a prophet coming from God, and someone were to say, well, he's, in, he's on the island of Patmos, he's serving a 12-year sentence for being a criminal. That's who God's going to use to change the world. What do you think people would have said in those days? They would have laughed you. They would have scorned you, right? That's the way he does it. God seems to love to take the weakest the least in society, in our population, and do his work through that. Why does he do that? Yeah, there's a story. Uh, I'm not going to get into the story, but, but you, there's a universal truth. If you've went through hardship, if you've been forgiven a lot, if you have fallen down, failed, and had people help you, and, and pulled yourself out and, and experienced love and, and help, you have an ability, a, 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 a reservoir of compassion that someone who's never been down in the gutters, they just can't sympathize. If you've been on the streets, had a needle in your arm, been a heroin addict, have been in that environment and found yourself out, got yourself out of that through God's mercy, your ability to be appreciative for what you have and to be sympathetic for that cause is so much greater than someone who's never been down there that's maybe born into privilege that never had really got into anything. It never was really that bad, but never really that good. And God understands that. He understands that he, he can do people, that, people on that level, on lower levels that come from nothing, are, are, are usually respond to the gospel a lot better because they have sympathy. They know, they know what it's like, and, and they have a great appreciation for what he's done for them. So what I'm saying is that let's get away from our dogmas, thinking that, they're gonna, that someone's going to come out of a seminary or a popular church. They're going to come from places that we don't expect. They might even come from religions that we didn't even expect. Now, we're not compromising our standards here. We have the 66. That, that is our framework. That is our, that's our foundation. That's the rock that we build our faith on. But let's not be so dogmatic 
and stick to traditions that we hadn't really thought out that may be wrong. And let's remember and be open to things that might, new insights that might be coming to us. Because God is raising up people that are coming from places that you didn't know, that I didn't know. And that's, who's, that's how the work is going to get finished, in my opinion. Let's sit on the fence. Let's look. Let's listen. Let's taste it. Taste the food. Let's compare it. Contrast it. Is it in parallel with the scriptures? Is it against scriptures? We can discard it. Or we can keep it. So we may be missing out on opportunities or, or insights or even salvation uh, because we stick to our dogmas that we've always done. And just because we've always done it doesn't mean it's always right. And guard yourself. Be really careful if you're older, like 50, 60. The older we get, the less pliable we become, the more entrenched we get, the more we stick to our ways and, and we, we just become stubborn and just unteachable. You can't teach an old dog new trick. You know, people say these things because they, they're true. That's why true creativity rarely comes from people that are older. I struggle with that. I think about that a lot. Just this is a creative, what we're doing here, being a, a YouTube YouTuber is, is creative work. And it's constantly changing. People's likes and desires, what the algorithm promotes, what people's tastes are, it changes. There's channels that started when I started that, are, that have long since died because they couldn't adapt. They couldn't, they, they weren't, they, they couldn't change. They couldn't accept new ideas. They, they, they just like, well, it's always worked. If I just keep trying it harder, it will continue to work. And it doesn't work that way. I guard against... I know, I know I'm older and I know I'm going to be less open to new ideas and I'm going to be more set in my ways, but I constantly fight against that and, and, I, and I don't want to be afraid of trying new things. I don't want to be afraid, afraid of, of something that it may not work, I may fail, and people might think I'm a fool. And I'm reminded of that in the comments all the time. I wish you would do things the way you used to do. How come you don't do this anymore? I can't. I'm not the person that I was 10 years ago. The world's not the world it was 10 years ago. I can't idly sit by doing axe videos, cross-cut saw videos, the same old thing. Yeah, it might work. It might, there might be a small segment that still enjoy that, that can't get enough of that. But the world is changing, and I'm going to sit by doing axe videos while the world is burning, and people are being lost, and, and, and people's souls are at risk. You know, I just can't do that. I'm sorry that it's not what you want, but it, I, I can only do what... God moves me to do, you know, wh whether I should follow what you say or respond to what God says you judge. You know, I can do nothing other than I'm doing. We're doing live streams right now. This is what I move to do. This is what the Spirit is moving me to do. We'll do short content because that is what the algorithm picks up and that helps get this out to more people. That's what we're doing right now. Is that going to change in six months? Probably. But I want to be flexible and I want to be creative and I want to be open to new things so I can adapt and move and I can also enjoy what I'm doing and, and my passion comes through. I'm passionate right now. Can you feel it? Can you feel the sincerity, the honesty that I'm sharing with you? Am I wrong? Do I have the right doctrines? Am I, am I saying and doing everything right? I don't know. Probably not, but I'm saying what I know to be true right now. And that's all that I can do. It's frustrating, but that's the way that it is. We have a new member, Jacob Tui. Shout out to you, Jacob. Thank you for your support. And DJIN Haku. Well, I don't know why I'm spelling that out. 
Thank you, sir. Well, thank you to you, and thank you for supporting us. You, you, are, you are greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. New member, Chase Cormick, shout out to you. Enjoy your new member's badge. If you, see, you know, if you want to see who the elite members are and what you have to aspire to, the elite members have got two new members' badges I made for them. And it was their ideas. It was, it was the, see, I have a brain, I have a small brain trust that I have nicknamed, against their will, uh, the middlemen. <laughs> and they work behind the scenes to make all this possible. Uh, and they chose uh, these member badges for you. So if you want to see who the elite are, who have been with us for three and four years, they have the single lantern and the double lantern. So shout out to the middlemen and the elite members. We have a super chat from Mr. Andrew Rouse. Rouse-like house, I'll never forget that. Thank you for that little memory, little memory tool. Who writes, not sure if you have spoken of this, but from when you left the community you grew up in, did you ever lose faith for any time? You know, I, don't, I, I didn't have faith when I was there, nor did very few people. My granddad did. My granddad was a strong man of faith, and there were a few of the older generation that were, but it was just a cult uh, that was ruled by fear. There was, there was really no teaching. There was no teaching of the Bible in my home growing up. Religion was to be a private ma a matter and not something to be talked about. And, you know, really what started the whole thing unraveling is when I was about 18 or so, I started getting in. I started feeling called a little bit. I'm like, well, I'm in this church and we're set aside and you know, we meet for church twice a day. Maybe I should read about this. So I started getting into reading and searching the scriptures myself. Well, obviously, I started seeing problems with the way the church was being organized and how closed off it was. And I, I started reading, well, aren't we supposed to let our light shine? Aren't we supposed to spread the gospel to save lost sinners and bring them to Christ? Why have you locked the doors and you, they wouldn't even let anyone join? Like if anyone ever tried to come in, I watched people that tried to come in and they were escorted out, even carried out. And I was told one time that when they were carried out that the men abused them, was, was like pinching and hurt, try, trying to hurt them and throw, throw them out. You couldn't come in. You couldn't come in off the street. This was a church of God. Well, that didn't jive when I started reading for myself. And I didn't, again, start reading until I was 18, 19. Went to some of the elders, asked them to, uh, asked them to clarify this. They got, immediately got defensive and got mad and, and started becoming uh, defensive. That was it for me. I'm like, this is, this is BS. Well, once, you know, that, that was one thing. But once I left, I, I had been, I, I just didn't know. You know, I mean, I, I was starting to read a little bit. I saw that there, I think I was probably already, already on my way out and looking for an excuse and the scriptures gave it to me when I went in there and I found that they weren't in, weren't in harmony with the way that the church was acting. So when I left, we had been so controlled, no drinking, no doing this and all of that. I was on my own and I just went completely off the rails. I, I, had, I believed at the time and I thought, well, that, that's, that's God's people. And they told us if we ever leave, you know, we were, we, we were condemned to hell. Uh, and I, I said to myself, well, I might as well, uh, might as well enjoy it. So I, I tasted and enjoyed everything that the world had to offer. Everything. Um, and that's what I did for a decade and a half. And when I met 
right before I met Mrs. W, God started to call me out of the world. I didn't know anything. I hadn't lived it. I was completely secular. I knew, I, I never didn't, I, I never disbelieved, but I didn't, I just figured I was lost and I might as well just, well, take advantage of it. If you're going to be bad, you, you might as well be bad as you can, right? And that's what I did. And then fortunately, God didn't give up on me, called me out. A nice old lady, I'll tell you how it started. A, a nice old lady, it's an incredible story. I had an apartment. I had just moved back from Colorado. I was working out there as a wildland firefighter and a uh, structural, paid structural firefighter. Hated it. Hate, hated the structural side of it. And um, something happened that rubbed me the wrong way, and I just quit, up and quit my cushy career firefighter job that people would give an arm for, right? Just quit. Drove home. Got an apartment in uh, the Hollywood District in Portland and um, was living there. And right after I moved in there, I uh, noticed that someone had slid a, something, a, a flyer under my door. And I walked over there and I picked it up. And it was, um, it was a flyer for an evangelistical series at, a, at an Adventist church. And it had um, all this uh, end of time graphics on it, like uh, fighter jets and, and uh, prophecy and, you know, doom and gloom and, you know, re revelation and all this stuff. You know, it was very sensational. And I looked at that and I thought, well, that looks interesting. But the thought of going to a church, you know, I, w I, was, I was in the bars. I was a Chad. I mean, I was out. That's what I, that's what I did. <laughs> you know, I was, that, that my, my whole motivation was, was the bar scene and, and everything that goes along with that, right? So I saw that, and for some reason I thought, that's interesting. And it dawned on me, maybe I'll actually go to that. Well, of course I didn't. You know, there was a wastebasket next to the, uh, the door, and it, I never thought about it again. Just not even a second thought. My life went on. I don't know. It was probably close to a year later, maybe eight months, whatever. Another flyer under the door. I was on my way to go meet with some buddies at a bar to go drinking. And there's that flyer. Picked up, looked at, same thing. A, a, apocalyptic imagery. I think it was a year later because after I found out, the, the local church was an evangel. It was an old church, a lot of old folks there and, and a real diverse crowd. There were Samoans there. There was a big Hispanic community. It was a really, really diverse crowd of really solid, traditional Bible-believing people of the book with real strong foundations in the Bible. And they did annual evangel evangelistic series there where they would have a guest speaker in. And I was not Christian, not involved in any of this. I looked at that thing a second time and it dawned on me, I'm like, I remember a year ago there was one of those things. And I looked at it and it was just so happening that it was starting in about a half hour. And I, for some unknown reason, I still don't know to this day, I decided to go. <laughs> I hadn't set foot in a church. I thought that they were, they were all heres, heretics, you know, because I had grown in that, that cult. I hadn't been in a church since my family church, and I figured, I figured I'd never go back in one. I was scared, man. I picked up this thing, and I had just, just started dating Mrs. W. We had just met, like maybe been out just a couple times. We, we had actually, we'd actually just started dating exclusive to each other. So I showed up to this 
big old inner, inner city church, and I sat in the very back, and I thought, oh, i got to make myself as small as possible. Hopefully, hopefully nobody comes up and talks to me, right? Well, it started, and I started hearing the gospel being preached, the real gospel. Um, and, you know, you know truth when you hear it. And I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, how, how, how is it I didn't know, know this? How, how is it that my parents didn't teach me? How, how is it that I just, I'd never heard these things before? Well, it was every night. Well, this put me in a predicament because I, I, after the first night, like I was so hungry for that. I'm like, I have never heard this before. I need to know more about this. This, this is incredible. So I was going, I, I went the next night and I went the next night. Well, <laughs> Mrs. W, you know, we were just getting dating, you know, and she was, you know, she was wanting to go out and do stuff. And, and I would, I was kind of blowing her off. I'd say, oh, you know, I can't do it tonight because I'm doing this thing. You know, she was starting to get suspicious. She didn't know me very well. And she didn't, she, she wanted to know where I was going. I was telling her, I was telling her that I was going to some lectures. Well, she says, well, she likes to do everything. She like, well, I like lectures. I said, oh, you wouldn't like these. <laughs> Because I was embarrassed that I was going there. I didn't tell, I wouldn't have told a soul uh, that I was going to this thing. I, I thought that was really, would have been embarrassing for my friends to find out that I was going to a church, right? Well, it got to the point where I realized that she was getting suspicious and she didn't know what was going on. And it was looking, it was looking kind of shady. And I finally told, I had to tell her. I said, and I didn't know her well, very well. It was hard to do. And I said, yeah, you know, there was there's this uh, there's this thing at this church and, and evangelistical thing, and you know she she grew up as a Catholic, but was had you know non-practicing really, you know not not really serious, but had grown up that way. Uh, and to my surprise, she said, "Well, that sounds interesting. Can I come?" All right. So she started coming with me. <laughs> she started coming with me. So. As she came, I became more and more interested and started moving. It was a huge auditorium. It was, you know, it was back in the, it was built back in the glory days of the church when people actually went to church, you know, probably built in the 50s or something like this. It was massive, probably seated, seat four or 500 people with a balcony, you know, maybe more, maybe 800 people. It was, it was big. Not a lot of people there now or then, but a few. I found myself moving further and closer and closer up and uh, Mrs. W was with me and we were going every single night and this went on for like two weeks I think every single night and uh, we're getting closer to the front and then they were just the sweetest people there just the nicest people I ever met and there was um, a, a family from Africa I remember the Sikii family they had uh, they were um, right over from Africa and they had uh, two or three just lovely little girls and they were the sweetest, it was the first time I'd ever met African people. They were some of the sweetest, most beautiful people I ever met. Just so kind. And they would come and talk to us, and we got to know their girls a little bit, and we really enjoyed them. And then other members came, and it was just, I'd never experienced people that actually loved you and didn't have an agenda or were trying to frighten you or control you like my other church. And, and that was very nice. And, and Mrs. W, was, she was enjoying it, and we were just very much enjoying it. Well, at the very end of it, the, uh, I'll never forget it, the, the, the preacher, he, he did a call, uh, he, well, I don't know, what, a, call, a call, what do you call it? When you call people up, who, who is willing to come up and to publicly profess uh, that they want to they, they 
they want to become a Christian, that they want to follow Christ and, 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 get, and make a commitment to be baptized. That was a bridge way too far for me. And especially with my new girlfriend right there, there was no way in hell I was going to be getting up in front of those people. I mean, I had moved up closer to the front, but I wasn't going to be getting up there uh, for no baptism. I assure you of that. Well, people started coming up. And um, I was sitting there, and I became to feel kind of uncomfortable and uh, more uncomfortable. Uh, what in the world's going on? And I felt my head felt, my hair felt like it was on fire. And I was squirming and like, damn, like what the hell is going on? And I, I still to this day don't know how it happened, but it must have been God reached down and picked me, and picked me up and put me out in the, I, before I knew it, I was out and walking up front there and I couldn't believe it. He literally... I can't say that I made the decision, but I had no other choice. I was so compelled to do it. My head was on fire, like a hand was on my head. Picked me up, and before I knew it, I was standing up there professing my faith publicly in front of a bunch of strangers uh, in line to be baptized. I don't know. That's how it happened. Come to find out afterwards... That Sikhi family, those, be- those beautiful, that beautiful family, and those little girls were about ten rows back on their knees, praying earnestly for me, personally, uh, that I would accept uh, the gospel, uh, and I will, you know, I'll be inter- eternally indebted to that family. I think that their their prayers and the prayers of those that beautiful family was instrumental. It probably was everything. Incredible. Incredible. Goodness. We have a super chat from Chase Cormick and new member. Shout out to you, Chase. And Chase writes, hey, Cody, I've been watching you since I was about 15 or 16. I'm 24 now, and you've been a great mentor to me. Thank you. Thank you, Chase. It's encouraging. It's encouraging for us that are older to see young people that are, that are getting it um, and that are, um, man, I envy you. I, I don't envy the young. Um, I don't, wouldn't trade places with anyone. I, it's nice to be young and to have everything that comes with that, but, but there's, a, there's great blessings with having the wisdom that comes with age and where I'm at now, too. I, I very much, it, you need to have both. It is, um, both are good, but it is good to be 16, especially if you're here and on the right track. And what, you've, what you're able to overcome, if you can stay connected to Christ, is even more difficult than what I had to accomplish in my day. You know, the Christianity was not, near as frowned upon and attacked as it is now. And, uh, but God will help you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Neil Finney says, I noticed, super chat, shout out to you, who writes, I noticed you buy mostly Snap-on tools. What is the reason behind that? I buy them because they're the best. And I have an affinity to them because I grew up using them. My grandfather was a mechanic. He worked for Ford. He only worked for two, he only had, he only worked for two companies. When he got out of the war in 1945 or 46, he went to work for a Ford garage, for a Ford dealership in, uh, in Oregon, and he worked there as a mechanic. And um, he would have worked there forever, uh, but he had, uh, his big thing was to go elk hunting, and this would have been sometime like in the, probably like the 70s or so. He'd worked there for like 20, 25 years 
you know, and, and just the best mechanics, solid, the, a dream employee. Well, they had a service manager there, and you know who the service manager is, you know, the guy that can't be a mechanic. That's what he always said anyway. He'd put in for vacation uh, to go elk hunting, and he'd put in a year in advance. That's He always did it, and it was um, the Friday he was to leave uh, for elk hunting, and the service manager strolled in, a young guy, and said, oh, oh Chet, uh, sorry, you're just not going to be able to go this year. You know, we're going to need you. We've got, got too much work to do. You're going to have to stay here. And this was, this was not at the end of the day. I think this was in the morning. I never heard my granddad ever say a, a bad word about anyone. And he didn't say a bad word about the service manager. He just told me what had happened. But I can read between the lines from the way he held his face and the way he told the story. <clears throat> he told me, he said, I worked the rest of the day. At the end of the day, I backed my car in. He had a 63 Galaxy 500 four-door. I backed my car in, I loaded my toolbox, and I quit, and I went hunting. Went hunting for two weeks, came back, went to a Ford dealership, and got hired and worked for them for the rest of his life until the early 80s. Worked for two companies. <laughs> didn't say anything to the service manager, didn't say anything to anyone. Just put his toolbox in the back of his truck, quit, and went elk hunting. <laughs> That's a Chad move right there, huh? Granddad, he was a legend. <clears throat> he was a legend. We have a super chat <clears throat> from Revan Brummel. Or remember, I'm getting I'm getting silly here. Shout out to you, a new member. Shout out to you, Revan. In a super chat also, he says, I just bought a Grand Force Brook small forest axe to see if my PayPal is working. Well, I wanted one for some time now. Quick question about Wim Hof method. Do you do breathing first or shower first? So I, um, I do the breathing first now. I did it when I first started, I didn't know, I didn't know better. And I did the shower first, and then I did the breathing because I didn't, hadn't signed up for his class. I just went and opened up a couple of his YouTube videos and, and I just play them and just follow along. Now, I do about 35 minutes, 35, 40 minutes in the morning of, of, of I'm, a, I'm in week one. Today is actually the last day of week one, and week two is unlocked. I don't know what I'm going to do for week two, but it'll open up tomorrow, and I'm just following it, just step by step. So I'm doing that, and I also, so it, it's, it's very simple, but it's super effective. I've went to the chiropractor for years. I have I've had back problems from all the years of sitting in heavy equipment. You know, the pounding, it's real hard on your spine. And when you're in a seated position, the impact on your spine is much greater than if you're more in a supine or a relaxed position. That's why the chair that I sit in now, you know, in the living room where I do my editing is, you know, is very relaxed with my feet up because that's a lot better on your back. <clears throat> so uh, what I do is I do that. It was, it was, it was $90 uh, for the 10-week program. I signed up for that. Mrs. W started her. Mrs. W took her first cold shower today. <laughs> it was pretty funny. But uh, so I, I, I do that first. So I found that to be quite easy. I'm I'm strong and athletic, uh, and that you know that that is kind of set up for someone that's starting. You know, you might be starting at, you know, maybe you're not. Maybe you're a little overweight or you're older. You know, it started. It's it's approachable for everyone. 
So I get that. So I've went on and I've added on a couple things from his app. So I've added on um, some extra stretching exercises, um, push-ups, uh, exercises that he does. And I do um, some pretty hardcore on my own. I do like 10 minutes of squats, just with body, body weight squats. So that whole thing takes me about an hour. So I do that routine and then I go into the shower, three minutes of cold shower, all overhead and everything. Um, and then I start my day. And, and, the sh and usually uh, that's about an hour before I start the live stream. And then I just, I have so much energy and I'm able to think quicker. It's incredible. It's incredible. I, I can't wait for the 10 weeks. I'm already getting stronger. My sense of smell is, is twice as good. Um, my um, sense of taste, uh, food tastes amazing. Uh, my, my ability to concentrate and focus, like on the, the, the example of the video game I gave, is, is um, enha enhanced. It's great. It is super, super great. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a huge fan. I don't know if I, Over, Overton, bless him, did something that I'm, I hope could do. Mrs. W asked me about a year ago. We were just having a conversation. She's like, if there was, is there anyone you'd like to meet? If you could meet anyone in the world, who would that be? And I thought, and I thought, and I thought, and I thought. And I said, no. <laughs> I can't think, like, to go to the effort of doing it? Um, no, there was no, there, there isn't anyone that I would, like, really desire. I'm not, there, I mean, there might be, yeah, that might be kind of interesting, or I, I would like to see an old friend or something, but, like, to have a real passion for to meet. Is there anyone like that? And I said, I thought about it for a long time and nothing came to mind. I mean, I would have said it if there was, there just wasn't any, it wasn't anything. I have never been one to idolize people. Like it, it's, it mystifies me why a grown man would wear another man's, like a football jersey with another man's name on it. I just never idolize people that way. I would like to meet Wim Hof if I have the opportunity. Overton, he sent me a message yesterday and said, uh, I took it upon myself to uh, reach out to uh, Wim's, um, he found a contact or something like that. Uh, there was a media, uh, uh, media contact or whatever uh, about maybe having a collaboration or something. And I, I hadn't asked him to do that, but I'm glad that he did because uh, I thought, you know, if she were to ask me to, I actually told her today, I said, you re remember when you asked me, it was last night, remember when you asked me that question? I said that I would like, I would like to meet him. I would just like to say thank you I'm not going to idolize him or anything, but I'd just like to say thank you for um, turning me on to this and do something that's been so beneficial to me and, and I think is going to just pay dividends that I can't even understand. And how cool would it be to, uh, you know, what could you learn from someone like that? I mean, he holds 26 world records, has changed the way science looks at what, what the human body what the capabilities of the human body is. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a, one of those one in a thousand year type of discoveries. It could turn out to be that. I mean, it's monumental. The, why, and you're asking, why don't we hear about it then? How come it's not in the mainstream media? How come everyone's not enjoying the benefits of this? Well, do you think the pharmaceutical companies, do you think that the for-profit hospitals, do you think that that um, is something that they would push out there, that there would be, uh, that would be a benefit to them? They are in the money-making business, and there is no money in cold showers. That's something we can all do. The medical establishment, by and large, there are good, great doctors and nurses in it. Don't get me wrong. One of my best friends is, is in it. They're great people, some of the best. 
but there's a lot of bad people in there too. There are a lot of people that are profiting off your misery. And I wonder if medication is eh, not, not always a solution. Sometimes we can find so solutions that are cheaper and, and better and without side effects. We have a super chat from JN. Thank you, JN. And new member, Colonel Leo. Shout out to you, Colonel. Say hello to General Sam for me. We have a super chat from Chandler Stone. Chandler writes, can you tell us about your health journey? What did you do to lose the weight? Healthy habits, love the channel, watch you. So I lost, uh, since COVID, I've lost, um, I have to do math here, 45 pounds. Got up to 225, I'm six foot four, but I, I have a, I have a thin frame. I'm not skinny, uh, athletic thin frame. Um, I have 44 inch shoulders and a 32 inch waist. So that's another reason why I have to, uh, normal, oh, I can't wear normal clothes because to get something to fit my shoulders in, it's made for a bigger man and the waist huge and they got mass, you know, it just doesn't fit me well. So the, anyway, it doesn't matter. So I got, I pushed up to to 220, 224, 225, but that was not, um, that was not muscle. <laughs> I was, I remember, I knew I had to do something when I was in my truck and I had the, um, the airbags were, had a hundred pounds of pressure and the rear airbags, cause I run those when I pull my trailer and I forgot to, to let them down and it's pretty stiff in the rear. And I felt, uh, I felt like I had boobs jiggling. I'd never experienced that for, before. Someone that's always been athletic and, and reasonably fit and trim. That was, I was horrified by that. I was absolutely horrified. And I looked at myself in a shirt. It was, it was disgusting. It was disgusting. So um, I am, you know, I told you I, I am, um, I have a real problem with vanity, right? Well, uh, just sheer determination and vanity alone got me thin. <laughs> Nothing more, more than that. So I just quit eating. I just um, like, well, I, I don't want to weigh this much. I don't want to be this, this heavy. I don't feel good. It makes my knees hurt. It makes my back hurt. I've just felt myself. I, 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 I'm at a crossroad here. I'm 50, 53, 52, 53. I'm either going to just get old and, and just be a mean old fat bastard uh, or, and, and give up all the things that I've enjoyed doing, being athletic, being able, you know, and then I thought, you know, I've got a, I've got a five-year-old daughter. I have an obligation. You know, I, I can't do that. It may have been different. Jack is now 17. He'll be out of the house soon. You know, I don't have, I have to be there for my, for my daughter. I have to be there for my wife. You know, it's not fair. If you're going to enter into a contract with someone, a marriage contract, you come a certain way you have an obligation to stay that way. Just because you're married doesn't mean you can just let yourself go to pot. I mean, that, that's unfair to the other person. You need to take care of yourself. There's a, I, would be, I would say a man would be justified. If your wife gains 100 pounds, 200 pounds, whatever, uh, and is doing nothing about it and has no intention of doing it, you would be well within your, you would be justified to leave that woman or the woman, the man. That goes two ways. That's 50-50. Now, if they come to you, and say, I'm not saying you just leave right away, but if you come to them and say, you know, this is, this is a problem. You know, I, I, this is not what I married. This is not what I signed up for. You know, there's going to be health issues I have to deal with now. You know, it's going to diminish our quality of life. You know, that is a breach of contract. So 
you know, I felt that as well. So there were many different things. And so I just decided to do it. And, you know, the way I've always done it is I'm going to do something. I'm just going to just grid it out and get it over with, get it done. I don't string things along. I uh, went whole days without eating. I um, quit eating, eating ice cream and stuff at night. Um, quitting alcohol was a big one. You know, that was, that was a, that helped out. Um, and just went, ate less and sometimes once, once a time. And yeah, I suffered. It was horrible, but uh, so be it. But now I'm down to my, now I'm down to, you know, down to a 32 inch waist. I'm down to the, I'm down to the size I was at when I was 21 and I'm stronger now. And, you know, just as good, if not better in, in many ways, you know, for that reason. And I was not that when I was, when I was at 225, you know, I was, I was like a job of the hut, like a walrus. I was like a homesteading walrus. Shout out to you, Spartan219. Welcome. New member as well. Rugged West member for four years. Shout out to you. Thank you for the super chat. And JN. JN writes, I recently split 16 cords of oak using two council tool malls. Right there from the horse's mouth. JN split 16 cords of wood. 16 cords of wood. You know how much wood that is? If it's a true cord, that's a four foot by four foot wide by four foot high by eight feet long, tightly stacked. People think a cord is throwing a loose pile in the back of a pickup. And that's not a cord. That's about half a cord. A true cord is a lot of wood. With counts of tools. Yeah, and if, if um, he said that uh, the head loosened and one of the handles shattered, I rehandled them and kept going. Yeah, not, nothing's perfect. You know, and I don't know everything, but I do know that I have never seen one with a loose handle, but they were also with the fire department. We certainly weren't splitting 16 cords of wood. But uh, they're a good tool. Very good tool. Man, you must be fit as a fiddle Jay, with 16 cords of wood. That is a, uh, that's a man's work right there. Shout out to you. And Jason Barr, welcome Jason, shout out to you. Uh, audio went crackly for a minute, it's fine now, might want to check the batteries. Let me put on my, my specs. Okay, batteries, I took batteries out of the, out of the equation, Jason. I put, I, I uh, put cords, hardwired cords into the, the two lav mics. Um, that's been happening. It drops a little bit. It might have something to do with being inside the metal building. I don't know. That has been, I have noticed that um, when I was editing that I've dropped, had a couple dropouts. It's rare, but it will happen. But we'll keep an eye on that. I've got backups. If one of these start acting up, we'll swap it out for another one. Just, uh, I'll, I'll see it in the edit too. And let me know, please. But thank you, Jason, for that heads up. We have a super chat from, I'll take me specs off here. Nilfinity. Shout out to you, Neil Finity. Thank you for your generosity. He writes, uh, should I sit down with my family business members and talk with them or should I move on? There is blame on both sides, but I am burned out and can't find the energy to care anymore. Neil Finity, if you can, you can e email me, Cody at Wranglerstar.com, if you can give me the details on this. I, I fear that you have maybe mentioned this in the past and I'm not recollecting that or pulling that up. Give me an email. Um, I can advise you for what it's worth. Uh, dealing with family and family businesses are very, very tough. You know, the Jesus said it, said it, summed it all up. He said, a prophet is not without honor except for in his own land or in his own home. What that means is that it's difficult for family members to see you in any other way than they've always seen you. Um, especially if you want to crawl out of the muck. You've found something or 
you want to break family curses or the way things have been done they're not right people hate change and family members rarely rarely respect other family members they always see you as a little kid and they can never really respect you i heard I read a saying one time that the the crown sits poorly on our on our acquaintances or those that we know meaning that if you are a group of guys let's say a group of guys that come up in a, in a, in a, a regiment one of them rises up and decides to become king back in the old days. All of those men that he drank with, that he partied with, that he had shared craft jokes with, they'll never really see him as a royal king. They knew they knew who he was. That's why it was so common in those days that if you did become king, even if those royal men that helped push you up, there, up there to, that, to that position, sometimes the wisest thing to do would be likely have a envy and jealousy to everything they do compared to the And it was, uh, it was a sad truth, but when you're the king, you have to make hard decisions. You have to make decisions that us really well. We have a super chat from Joe C. Shout out to you, Joe C. Three year Congratulations. Any thoughts on the new HR? course will follow all along. Every man needs to do what he Thank you, Josie. We have a super chat from Derek. Shout out to Derek. And Derek writes, what do you, how, what do you, read? What do you do about Just don't actually care about anything anymore. You know, I felt that's the way I felt. Not very much towards the end of summer. I was entering. I was just about to take the black pill. I, I, I felt. I thought everything was as hopeless. I was even thinking, you know, why am I even here? And it, you know, I, would, I don't know where I would have been had I not had a family. I'm not going to say. I, I, I guess where that, that was taking me, where I was getting to the point where I was you know what, I, I'm not, I'm not going to look at anything. I'm going to focus on my own, focus on my immediate circle, and anyone else, you know, anyone else that wants anything from me or demands anything from me, you know, I just, I don't care. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm over it. I'm tired of fighting. I'm depressed about the future of country, etc., etc., etc. I don't feel that way anymore. You know, I, I, I the decision that I made was I had been playing around with God for so long, in and out, in and out, going over and never knowing, am I saved? Am I not saved? I hope Jesus comes when I'm uh, in, hope 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 he comes when I'm in, in one of those the, the high troughs when I'm when I'm feeling it and I'm reading the Bible and doing the feeling by my action. And then they would I had problems and I just question my faith and I think God was unjust and what's the point of all this never I decided, okay, this is the last time. One more chance. Got down on my knees. 
that and then to leave it you know the bible talks about that and says it's like it it's like the dog that returns to its ball you know that that that's the that's the analogy that he that he gives of a man that has tasted the goodness that's walked and felt the presence the goodness the peace that comes from god the peace that defies all understanding and then turns away back to the things of the world he, he equates that to the dog that returns to its ball I, I knew that i knew that I'm going to give it one more chance. Got serious about confession. Got serious about prayer. Got serious. Turned away. You know, there's a time, sometimes, God will help you turn away from things. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. It could be pornography. Put away the alcohol. Change, cleaned up my diet a little bit. Stop eating food. You, know, you don't realize that your diet and the processed foods and the fast foods that you eat, that, that, that affects you too much. That affects your ability to connect with the Holy Spirit. But if you're connected to God, you can't help it. Make you aware of it. You just lose things. You just realize, you know what, this is just having three beers at night. I'm doing that instead of spending time in prayer. I'm doing that instead of spending time in All these things come into play. So the turning away. Repenting is a turning away. It's a turning away from things that, that you know are bad for you. I gave it one more shot. That made a difference. I was consistent with it. There was, I really had to gut it out a couple times. I know we don't save ourselves, but sometimes you have to make decisions. But God will never allow you to be tempted more than you're able to resist. I must have repeated that a million times. Hundreds of times, if not thousands of times a day when I was suffering. tempted by things from, from just appetite, or lust, or laziness, or selfishness, wanting to do work on a motorcycle instead of playing with a daughter. Helping my son, all those things. We reward, reward the decisions that we make daily. All of them matter. And I started, my face started being built up. I started coming out of that funk. I felt the optimism. I felt the happiness. I felt the purpose, the life. And the, the capstone of the whole thing, the cherry on top, is uh, the cold shower, the wind hot method. Um, I, just do it. What do you have to lose? Is your life so good right now? Are you enjoying things so much that, that, you, that you, you, you can't drive for, for 10 weeks? For 30 days? You can't go take a three-minute cold shower? You can't do the Wim Hof breathing method? What do you have to lose? If your life sucks and you're depressed, and there's no point of getting up and, and everything just looks gray and you're just dealing with that black dog of depression. If you want to continue in that, continue what you're doing. If you want to have some of this, if you want to have some of this, then do what I'm doing. I didn't invent it. I'm just doing it. You can do it. I'm not doing anything you can't do. So, when I became a man, I, I, I went what I called it. When I was a child,
Michael. <laughs> okay, that's it. What are we, two hours? Yeah, I could feel it getting tired. Thank you, but Derek, don't, don't be discouraged. Um, be here for the live stream. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I am, be, I am being sharpened by other men like me, by men online. I am being sharpened by Be here. We're going to learn together. We're all marching to the kingdom together. And um, do I have all the truth? No, I'm not here to have the truth that we need anyway. I'm here to point you to Christ. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not one better than the other. And Paul talks about the church being the body. We're the body here. And we're all on the same page. And when I'm having a bad day, I'm going to lean on these guys to me up. And when they're having a bad day, or you're being discouraged, maybe I can be here and be supportive and give you encouragement. That's why we're here. So, don't hang in there. Just keep going. Just wake up and keep going. Get in your room. Get your things organized. Get your life organized. Get the chaos out of your life. Get away from people that are dragging you down. Be here. Be here. And 30 days of life. Thank you. May God bless you and your families. Please keep us in your prayers. We'll see you tomorrow at the